Albert Einstein, Richard Branson, Bill Gates, John F. Kennedy, Tony Robbins, Michael Phelps, Will Smith. That sounds like a list of highly successful titans in a variety of industries. What else do they have in common? Well, they all have ADHD, but you don't hear much about that, do you? You know what you hear even less about? The successful women navigating ADHD. And that's exactly why I started this podcast, ADHD for Smartass Women. I'm your host, Tracy Otsuka. I'm an attorney, not a doctor, a lifelong student, not a coach. I'm also the creator of Cortography, a patent-pending system that helps people like you figure out what they should do with their life. And we're here today to talk ADHD, your superpowers, your symptoms, your workarounds, and how you proudly stand out instead of trying to fit in. I credit my ADHD for some of my greatest superpowers. And you know what? I spy a happier life for you, too. So without further ado, a shiny new episode is starting now. Hello, I am Tracy Otsuka, and I wanted to welcome you to episode 49 of ADHD for Smartass Women. Many weeks ago, I did a podcast about rejection-sensitive dysphoria, or RSD as they call it, and it's become among our most downloaded episodes. And because there was so much interest in it, I wanted to make sure that I closed the loop on this particular topic. I always want to give you something to be optimistic and hopeful about. And I don't think I did this for our initial RSD episode. I sort of ended it with I don't know, something along the lines of, hey, if you're not among the 30% who get relief from guanfacine or clonidine, that's the medication that seems to work for RSD, then you're kind of out of luck. And the truth is that since then, I've discovered that there's actually a lot you can do to reduce and even eliminate symptoms of RSD. The first thing I did is I went to my members, my wonderful members in my Facebook group, ADHD for Smartass Women, and I went to them for help on this because, remember, this is not one of the symptoms of ADHD that I have. I'm hyperactive, and I can be the absolute opposite of hypersensitive at times. But then other times, I'll glob onto some news story about a child, and I'll be fixated on figuring out how I can help them. I mean, I am contacting reporters, I'm writing emails until four in the morning, not having clue one what I'm actually going to do once they get back to me. I also, I rarely see a movie that wins an Oscar. I just can't handle it. I'm too sensitive. So for someone like me, the emotional dysregulation, it's there, but it's not there in an RSD kind of way. I tend to see extreme hypersensitivity and RSD more among women with inattentive symptoms. So anyway, I had to go to my group to find out more about it, right? And in the previous RSD episode, we talked about what RSD is. Now, if you haven't listened to that episode, do that first, because I don't want to repeat myself here. It's long enough, this podcast episode. And if I may say so myself, it's actually quite good. You know. No surprise here, but we have working memory issues, right? So I forget. So to prepare for this episode, I went back and I looked at episode 19. And as I'm looking at it, I'm thinking, wow, you wrote that? That's really good. So go listen to episode 19 if you haven't done that first. Now, let me remind you, when we're talking about people with ADHD, 
generally. It's not that we experience more emotion than your typical person does. It's that we feel more emotion. Now, in my case, we know that that's not about everything, right? But because of this, we can have certain mood challenges. Number one, we can overreact. Number two, we can have a lot of shame and guilt. In episode 19, I talk about a study out of Harvard that showed that if you have ADHD and you struggled in school, you will receive 20,000 more critical messages by your 12th birthday than someone without ADHD. And this is especially true for women. The third mood disorder type challenge is called rejection-sensitive dysphoria, which seems to only coexist with ADHD. Now, another reminder, emotion and RSD, remember, it's not mentioned in the DSM, which is what mental health professionals use to diagnose ADHD. So if you want to know why it's not mentioned in the DSM, again, go listen to episode 19. So real quick, I just want to give you the Cliff Notes definition of RSD to refresh your working memory. What is RSD? Well, RSD is the debilitating fear of rejection that sometimes is present with ADHD. And I'm getting my definition from William Dodson, who always seems to be the ADHD expert most cited when mood and ADHD come up. That said, most ADHD experts do believe in RSD. I just heard Ed Hallowell and John Rady talking about it. They're the authors of Driven to Distraction, which is the Bible of ADHD. So William Dodson, he's an attitude board member. He's a psychiatrist. He's a Georgetown faculty member, or he was. I'm I'm not sure if he still is. But he's also worked with ADHD adults for over 20 years. So he's very knowledgeable. According to Dodson, RSD is the one emotional condition found only with ADHD. Because we're talking about emotions, again, it's been largely ignored with respect to ADHD, yet it was written about regularly 40 or 50 years ago, and then all of a sudden it was just sort of dropped. So we haven't heard that much about it, or I should say not much has been written about it. So according to Dodson, with rejection-sensitive dysphoria... The person experiences extreme emotional sensitivity and pain triggered by the perception. That's the operative word, the perception. And that can be real or it can be imagined of being rejected, teased, criticized, a disappointment to important people in their lives. They can be disappointed in themselves when they fail to attain their very, their own very high standards or goals. You know, in our podcast and in our group, I can tell you firsthand that we're talking about really bright women who know how smart they are, but somehow they can't reach their potential and they just don't know why. The pain with RSD can be so extreme that people who experience it, they can't even put it into words. Dysphoria, by the way, means unbearable in Greek. These women, they can become people pleasers to the point that they will ignore their own feelings so they don't have to ever be the bad guy. They feel like nothing they will ever do is good enough. They can be extremely perfectionistic so that there's no opportunity for anyone to criticize them. And they can get to the point where they refuse to even try because they don't want to leave their comfort zone. They can't bear to be rejected, to look stupid, or to fail, so they dumb themselves down. 
RSD, it's often misdiagnosed as social phobia. But with social phobia, there's an intense anticipatory fear that you're going to say something embarrassing in public or you're going to be scrutinized severely. With RSD, the pain occurs after a real or perceived loss of approval, love, or respect. And the RSD episodes, they don't last very long. It's not like a depression. Look, we all have a need for human connection, but if you've been rejected or you think you've been rejected yet again, you're going to be leery of human relationships. You know, one of the women in our group said that she believes that everyone she meets absolutely hates her. Of course they don't. But if that's what you believe, would you want to be around people? RSD can, however, cause social phobia because when you feel like a failure, when you feel like you haven't lived up to your expectations or expectations you perceive that others have of you, you withdraw, right? And you want to stay away from social situations. Women with RSD, they can also become really angry. The women I've spoken with have told me that RSD is the most debilitating of their ADHD symptoms. So they get all the ADHD symptoms, right? And then on top of that, they experience RSD. Since we just did two episodes on bipolar disorder, I also want to mention that RSD is often misdiagnosed as bipolar disorder. And that's because you can have the flare-ups of emotion in ADHD with RSD. The difference is the flares in emotion, they're specific to something that has happened. And as quickly as it comes with RSD, it goes away. Remember, in bipolar disorder, it's internal. The emotion comes out of nowhere. Bipolar rages, they're also much more intense than RSD rages. They, in fact, I wouldn't even call RSD rages. They don't just go away at the drop of a hat when you're suffering from bipolar disorder and you're experiencing a bipolar rage. One other thing that I want to address as background is why those of us with ADHD have low frustration tolerance, less patience, a temper, (laughs) we can become more excitable. Because emotions start in the brain and problems with inadequate working memory like we see in ADHD and RSD, they can allow an emotion to become so strong that it floods the brain. There's actually a term for it. It's called flooding. And I love this explanation from Thomas E. Brown. I'll post the link in the show notes. And I love the explanation because it's just so darn visual. This is what Thomas E. Brown says. Flooding is a momentary emotion that can gobble up all of the space in your head, just like a computer virus can gobble up all of the space on a hard drive. What happens is you focus on this one emotion and it crowds out all the other important information that might help you control your anger and regulate your behavior. For many people with ADHD, the brain's gating mechanism for regulating emotion, it doesn't distinguish between dangerous threats and minor problems. You've heard me say that sometimes we can be using our prehistoric lizard brains to keep us safe from saber-toothed tigers, even though we know we're no longer at risk of being eaten by a saber-toothed tiger. And we know this intellectually. We know that our thoughts aren't accurate, but somehow we just still think that they are. So now that we know what RSD is, let's look at what women with RSD have done to reduce and for some even eliminate the symptoms of RSD. In other words, we can learn to control it. So what works to reduce or eliminate RSD? Number one, 
learn about your ADHD and RSD. If you knew how many women have contacted me off of that initial RSD podcast, you would be astounded. And they all said the same thing. Learning about RSD makes it so much better because I know I'm not crazy. Since it's real, you start to recalibrate because you can see that it's the RSD that is distorting your reality. And guess what? This gives you hope. It gives you energy. You start to realize that there's something that you can actually do to make it better and even stop it. It puts you back in the driver's seat. It puts you back in control. You are no longer just at the mercy of your emotions. So listen to what Amanda said. Amanda said that she had never heard of RSD, and that was even after many years of ADHD testing and three years of therapy. Once Amanda learned about it, so much about her life made sense. She said she still can't always control it, but understanding what is happening is really powerful to her. Medication has worked for Amanda, but mindfulness has worked as well. Look, I mean, we've created most of this in our own head. Well, with much help from society, right? And even help from much of the ADHD community, this idea that, you know, there's nothing we can really do about our motivation and our time blindness and getting through school. You know, this idea that we're lazy, we're unmotivated, we're stupid. And the reality of it is it's all a bunch of BS. There are so many positives to our ADHD brains, which few people talk about. We need to learn more about our brains and our strengths. Forget our weaknesses. We need more role models because I venture to guess that most of the people on this earth who have done in really incredible things with their lives, they're ADHD, they're focused on their strengths, and no one ever told them that they couldn't do it. What else helps to reduce and or eliminate RSD symptoms? Well, you can try medication. Now, we know it works for 30% of those of us with RSD. According to Dotson, medications like guanfacine or clonidine, they work best. You don't use one or the other. You use both of these medications to treat RSD. For some women, I've heard that ADHD meds have helped them as well. Sydney in our group said medication helped her push past things that caused her insecurities in the first place. For example, with meds, she was able to make the dean's list and graduate from college. That gave her confidence, which now helps her combat her RSD. She can now question the veracity of her thoughts. She still has her moments, but it's much easier for her to now convince herself that the negative thoughts are wrong. She mentioned to me that it's almost like her brain is now saying, now wait a minute. Remember the scholarship you won and your degree and your grad school GPA? Her bouts of RSD are so short-lived now. What else works to reduce RSD symptoms? This is a big one. Change your environment. It's number three. I just heard Ed Hallowell and John Rady speak, and I feel like I owe a debt of gratitude to these men because I'm fairly certain that had I not read Driven to Distraction for my son, I likely would have never figured out that he got his ADHD from me. And that was the second reading, by the way. I didn't even get it the first time. 
I just would have never thought I had ADHD because again, I did well in school. I didn't really know what the symptoms were. And I certainly didn't know what the symptoms were for women. Anyway, Hollowell and Rady are coming out with a new book this summer, and I can't wait. And they are replacing the term ADHD with VAST, V-A-S-T. And VAST stands for Variable Attention Stimulus Trait, which they feel is a much more accurate description of ADHD. So their goal is to take ADHD out of the realm of pathology and put it into the realm of a trait because every negative ADHD symptom can be flipped into a positive. We know that, right? And that's what we're doing here every single day at ADHD for Smartass Women. Look, we can be hyperactive or we can call it energetic. We can be impulsive or we can be creative. We can be distractible or we can be curious. It is all how you look at it. It can be a positive or we can flip it into a negative. So what Hollowell and Rady did is they looked at the vast brain, the ADHD brain, and they noticed how very sensitive it is to rejection. But guess what? They also noticed just how much it thrives on recognition, encouragement, and praise. So going back to changing your environment, what that means is you got to get rid of all the negative and critical people and projects. You need to stop trying to play small so you can fit in and not make waves. It also means you need to figure out what it is that you value exactly, not what you've been taught to value. What do you care about passionately? Get rid of everything that sucks out your positive energy and blows in all that negative energy, everything, and then replace it all with positive projects, people, and energy. The best question to ask yourself is, how do I feel? How do I feel when I leave that friend? How do I feel when I'm with that family member? How do I feel when I'm on that date? How do I feel when I'm in that job? Your body knows what feels good to you and what doesn't. If you feel like your energy is sucked dry by a friend, a job, a date, get rid of them. That'll give you time to spend with friends who energize you and make you feel good. Katie, who's in our Facebook group, volunteered that connecting with people she loves helps, especially if they are the few people who give her energy and vitality vitality, just by being around them, or they make her laugh. Talking it through with those people in my life, says Katie, is also helpful. It may be impossible to get rid of your entire family. I totally get that. But you can put enough positive people and energy in your life to shore up the times that you have to deal with the family. You can also build in the emotional distance by learning that this is not about you. It's about them. You can only control how you react. Jennifer volunteered that one of the biggest things that helped her RSD was cutting out her narcissistic father out of her life. The constant gaslighting made her question everything. Now that she has separation, she says that she's able to identify when her brain is hearing something that's not likely there. Okay, okay, what else can we do to alleviate and even eliminate RSD symptoms? And I love this one. This is number four. 
And I love this one because it's really helped me. I don't have RSD, but it's really helped me with my ADHD. Number four is ask for gold stars. Remember those stars you used to get in school? And I don't know what it is, but you get to a certain age and I guess people think we don't need stars anymore. That's a bunch of BS. Look, I have always been one of those people who wants to pretend that I'm above it all, right? I'm not affected by what people think or don't think of me. The truth, though, is like most of us with ADHD, I'm not that different. I need to be in positive emotion to motivate myself forward. That means that I'm also greatly affected by my environment, and especially environments that contain encouragement, praise, and recognition. I just am. And rather than pretend that it doesn't matter to me, I am slowly getting better at telling people what I need, that I need this. You know, my son, Marcus, he's the exact same way as I am. He blossoms under praise and he shrinks from criticism. And he too, he pretends he doesn't care, but I know he really does. Like me, it also can't be fake praise because we see right through that. And so because of him, I decided that I am really going to make a concerted effort to ask for gold stars. I want him to see me asking for them because I'm hoping that he'll start emulating me if he realizes how much of a difference it makes for me. I've also noticed that I'm getting better at doing this for other people, you know, offering encouragement, offering praise. You know, before I was so intent on being authentic and truthful and having these standards where I could only compliment someone if I really believed it. And I think that's in part because I know when people are giving me a sincere compliment versus when they're not. But it suddenly dawned on me that there is always something authentic and truthful and kind that I can say that makes people feel good. I do not have to be Anna Wintour, editor of Vogue, you know her, sourpuss. <laughs> I don't have to be stingy with praise because that then somehow means that I'm lowering my standards. In any case, we know that the ADHD mind wanders, right? We have trouble staying in the prefrontal cortex. And so when we feel bad, we ruminate, especially those of us with RSD. And do you know that you can actually see the brain ruminating in brain scans? I'm not making this up. We just go over and over the same bad thing again and again. But you know what we can also do? If we can get just a little bit of encouragement, praise, or recognition, we can totally flip that around. You've heard me talk about how we can focus on the bad pretty easily, right? Everything is perfect, but we can find that one little tiny thing, and that's what we're going to fixate on to the exclusion of all the good. Remember, it takes five good things to balance that one bad thing out. But this is the thing. We can do that with recognition, encouragement, and praise as well. You know how you can be really down one moment, and then you get a phone call, and something really good happens, and just as quickly you're feeling great, well, we're amplifiers. I love that word, amplifiers. I heard Ed Hallowell use that term, and it's just perfect. We can amplify rejection, but we can also amplify recognition. So take your pick. You can get criticism, or you can get stuck in the endless loop of praise. So you might as well choose praise. And the way to get more praise more encouragement and more recognition is to ask for it. 
to tell people, whether it's your boss, your spouse, your significant other, your teachers, your mother, that that's what your brain style needs. Forget about pointing out everything that I'm doing wrong because it's just going to make me do more of it. Instead, encourage me by recognizing and then verbalizing what I'm doing right. If they want you to do more of something, encourage you when you're doing that something that they want you to do more of. That will actually motivate you to continue. Okay, what else can we do? Number five, we're creatives. That means that we need to be doing something creative. Now, I often hear people with ADHD say, but I'm not creative. I'm in accounting. I'm in business. I'm in law. But this is the thing. Whatever you're doing, you're creative because of how you're doing it as long as there's interest there. You see disparate ideas. You put them together in ways that are different and new. That's just what our ADHD brains do when used to their best capabilities. We're entrepreneurs building businesses. We're writers writing books. We're artists and designers and musicians and poets. We have to be using our creative or we stagnate and we get down. You can be creative in how you make connections rather than visually or artistically. You know, I feel like my kids gave me a lot of opportunity to be creative. So I was able to work as a real estate broker and be happy for a good 10 years. But then when the market went to hell, I ended up selling distressed properties for dozens of banks. And there was so much room to do this creatively to help people who were losing their homes. I mean, I just felt like I was really needed and I could make a difference. And I was in a different city every day. I didn't have to do what everyone else was doing in traditional real estate. And I had these great stories that I could share, you know, citizens arrests in a cocktail dress and pearls. I had run-ins with pit bulls and Norteño gang members and a vicious unneutered camel. It was like the ADHD brain's dream, right? I loved it. But the minute the market righted itself, I just knew I couldn't go back to traditional real estate sales. My kids were older. There was less room for creativity with them. And I was really down trying to figure out what I would do with my life. I knew that I needed something more entrepreneurial. I had to reinvent myself. And at times it was painful, but I knew that my brain would not be happy without doing just that. We need to be doing something creative and meaningful with our lives to be happy. So find that creative outlet, whatever it is, and make sure that you practice it daily, even if it's as a hobby. It doesn't have to be your full-time job. Okay, what else can we do? Number six, we can learn to plan ahead. The worst part of RSD is your overreaction. RSD is your already really active mind in complete overdrive. So what you need to do is you need to make a plan in advance of that. Look, your husband can be late and you can be unhappy about that. But where you really get into trouble is when you react as if he just murdered your family dog. That doesn't help you. And it certainly doesn't make the situation any better. It affects your relationships. So the best thing you can do is to learn how to banish the overreaction. And the best way to do that is to plan ahead. So figure out when you're not in RSD what is acceptable behavior and what isn't. Literally, come up with a list of what really upsets you when you're not in the middle of an RSD episode. That way, when your husband is 10 minutes late and you're ready to set the restaurant on fire, you can say, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. That's my RSD acting up again. And you know that because you made the list. 
We need to stop the knee-jerk reactions. Get yourself out of the situation. Do not react. Make a plan to remove yourself before you lose it. Just walk out. Give yourself some space. Everything always looks better in the morning. Now, again, I don't struggle with RSD, but I am the victim of a big mouth. I'm a justice and truth person. I'm super honest, and I will stick up for the underdog. I will call people out on their stuff. And I realized early on that that doesn't work very well. So what I did instead is I took to writing people letters and then emails when emails came into vogue, right? And I liked writing because it allowed me time to not react right away, to think, and then put my thoughts into writing. Of course, then I would just let it all rip with even with the benefit of time. So I just want to point out to you that that doesn't work either. Over the years, I've learned that people generally, they don't really know who they are, and you telling them who they are doesn't resolve anything. It just makes it worse. So over time, I have discovered that the best way to handle this is to just let it go if I care about the relationship and if it's not a serious faux pas. If it's serious, then I have to have a conversation. You know, with my letters and emails, I realized that what I was hoping for was a conversation. But telling people what you really think, it rarely leads to that conversation. You know, it really takes a rock-solid friendship for that to happen. People are almost always nicer and more willing to meet you halfway or even closer to halfway when you sit down and you make the time to talk to them face-to-face. Okay, what else helps to reduce and or eliminate RSD symptoms? Number seven, take care of yourself first. Anthea said this to us. She said, it's helped me to know what RSD is and to be aware that I have a tendency to be sensitive. Now, when I feel the initial shock of something hurting my feelings, there's an extra pause before assuming that my feelings are an accurate assessment of reality. This pause buys me time to take a breath question my thoughts and feelings, and react in a different way. That said, like with most ADHD symptoms, if I'm tired, if I'm sick, if I'm stressed, my ability to be calm and collected is diminished. So I think prioritizing self-care like sleep and fun, meditation, downtime, etc., is crucial. The calmer and more well-rested I am, the less oversensitive I am. Mindfulness has helped Terry. But depending on her relationships with someone, she now just tells them how she feels about a situation, and she gives them an opportunity to tell her what they really meant, or she gives them an opportunity to give her a better understanding of what actually happened. Terry has recently started just assuming that it's not personal. She says, I often feel like I'm lying to myself, but it helps me get through the day without assuming None of my friends like me anymore. Brittany now runs the incident through a basic human decency filter. I love this. She ta- she'll ask herself, what are some other possibilities for what just happened? What else could they have meant? What else could it be? When she screws up, Brittany will also tell herself that she's not less valuable because she screwed up. She's not less of a person because she's not perfect. It's okay to make mistakes. That's how we learn our best lessons. Tyrion seconded Brittany's strategy. What she has told herself is that the notion that she has inherent value is not attached to merit for her. She will tell herself this. 
even if what I'm afraid that person thinks of me is true, or if I'm actually all of those things I'm afraid I might be, I'm still worth it. I'm still valuable as a person, as a friend, as a colleague. Another thing you might try is to recall a time when you thought someone meant you ill will or harm, but you were wrong and misunderstood the situation. When you start putting these incidents down in writing and keeping track of them, you start to realize how often the doom and gloom that you predict doesn't come true. You know, we don't have great working memories, so I think we need to be constantly reminded of our accomplishments, what we've done that we're proud of. And the best way to do that is to make a list. I have a list like this that I call my positive emotion dossier. I keep it in a plastic sleeve in my desk and I add to it daily or at least weekly. And if I'm having a bad day, that's the first thing I pull out. And it always helps to ground me and pull me out of my slump. What else do we need to know? Number eight, trust yourself. Trust your own instincts. Trust your own intuition. Your judgment, it's not bad. It's only suspect when your RSD is flaring up. You know, one of the biggest problems that I see with women and RSD is that because of their RSD, they don't trust themselves anymore. You have to pay attention to the red flags, that feeling in your gut, your need to proceed with caution, because nobody knows better than you know what's right for you. One of the best things that those of us with ADHD have going for us is our intuition. You need to keep developing it. And that's why it's also so important to consistently, you know, keep track of all of those things that you do so well, all of those things that you're so proud of yourself for. Okay, what else? Number nine, build a support team. This is your your gold star brigade, right? Have a good friend, a family member, a coach, a therapist, someone that you trust on speed dial, someone, a spouse, right? I mean, a lot of us have spouses who, no matter what happens, they are our biggest supporters. You need someone who's familiar with RSD that you can check your perceptions with. If you're struggling with RSD, you often won't know when you're overreacting because of your sensitivities, right? Get their opinion. But again, remember, trust your intuition as well. You know, journaling and exercise, those are other things that really help, just as an aside. So your support team, these are the people who are going to give you your gold stars. If you don't have these people in your life right now, you can start by joining our free Facebook group, ADHD for Smartass Women. I think we do this for each other regularly. And that's also going to help you learn about your ADHD and your RSD. So Anna got a coach and she said getting a coach really helped her recognize when she was using self-defeating language. She's also helped her recognize her accomplishments so that she has concrete examples to refer to when she's stuck in an all or nothing mind trap. So it looks like Anna keeps the same list that I do. For Diane, mindfulness meditation and CBC, cognitive behavioral coaching, are mainstays. When she feels down, she gets out in nature, she increases her exercise, she engages in something playful, or she finds something funny to boost her. Laughter, she says, really is the best medicine, and it's also free. Okay, so before we go, I want to say something about dating. You can imagine how difficult dating can be when you're struggling with RSD. So this is the deal. I only want you to date when you're on solid emotional ground. If you're not, 
you need to pass dating up. Look, you can always start with a relationship. In fact, that's how you should always start. Look, with ADHD, we're impulsive, we're fearless, we're inattentive. We are all in kind of people. And when it comes to intimate relationships, we are no different. In fact, we're probably more in. By our very nature, we need to slow down. So this includes slowing down in moving a relationship into the intimate category. And I'm not talking about weeks here. No, I am talking about months. And I mean many months, especially when you're young. You need to learn what works best for you in relationships so you don't set up this pattern of getting into one bad relationship after another and then blaming yourself about it. You know, this was always a rule that I had with respect to intimate relationships. And trust me, my friends did not have that rule. And some of them still make fun of me about it today. Actually, they make fun of my husband. Like, you really stuck around that long? <laughs> and guess what? The good guys, the right guys, they do stick around. I would get to know someone really well before I ventured into an intimate relationship. We were always friends first. With RSD, we can be so worried about if we make the grade in their eyes that we forget to ask if they make the grade in our eyes. Are they interesting? Are they kind? Are they emotionally capable of a relationship? Do they share our values? That's the big one. So anyway, that's what I have to say about dating. One final thing, do ask yourself, is it RSD or is it trauma? Trauma can also cause you to be more hypersensitive to rejection, and you need a good therapist if there's trauma. The trauma always needs to be addressed first. Finally, I want to tell you that I've created a free um, download for you, your own personal RSD plan, because we know that when we have a plan, we're more successful, we're less reactionary, and I haven't named it yet. I've kind of just created the outline of it, but it will be available as a download in the show notes for this particular episode. So that's what I have for you for today. Thank you again so much for subscribing, for listening to the show, for writing those reviews, for joining our Facebook group, ADHD for Smartass Women. I read every single Instagram DM, every Facebook message, every email. They truly mean the world to me because they tell me that you need what it is that I'm doing and your praise and encouragement is what keeps me going. There, I said it. I'm not afraid to ask for the gold stars. Beyond that, when you tell other women about this podcast, it really does change lives. I can't tell you how often I get a message from someone who tells me that they were in despair about their ADHD diagnosis and just one listen flipped the switch for them and helped them to suddenly start to see their strengths. When days before they thought they didn't even have any strengths. Look, if there's anything that I know about our ADHD brains, it's that we cannot get anything done when we're in negative emotion. But when we're in positive emotion, if we feel hopeful, our motivation kicks in and the sky is the limit. If you want to help us out, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or Stitcher or Google Play, because what you say really does impact people. It does encourage them to listen, and it's a ripple effect. We're changing lives one woman at a time. 
And if you have a comment, a guest you'd like me to interview, or a topic idea for this podcast, you can go to my website at tracyoutsuka.com and leave me an audio message or reach out to me at tracy at tracyoutsuka.com. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you here next week. You've been listening to the ADHD for Smartass Women podcast. I'm your host, Tracy Atsuka, and we're available on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and Google Play. If you liked what you heard, we sure would appreciate a review. And not coincidentally, ADHD for Smartass Women, well, that's also the name of our free Facebook group. Go look it up. We're a totally smartass community of successful, ambitious women who share our ADHD wins, questions, and workarounds. We'd love to have you join us. You can also find all my details over at tracyoutsuka.com. Don't forget, I spy a happier life for us, and I'll see you again next week. Mm-hmm.